I'm Dave Sattler, one of the pastors here at North Shore Alliance Church, and I want to say it's good to be together today. Thank you so much for joining us, those who are here in person, and those of you who are online today. Let me just say, we are so blessed by your faithfulness to Jesus and his church during these challenging times. And I want to say, as a pastor at this church, thank you for sticking with us in these days. In 2013, on my trip to the biblical lens, we visited the Shepherd Hills east of Bethlehem, today in the West Bank. From there, one can see the suburbs of Jerusalem in the distance. In that spot, our teacher said this, in the biblical narrative, Bethlehem is known as a place of solutions. He then, despite his lack of gender-neutral pronouns, delivered a profound observation on God's mission behind the incarnation. And here, he said, the Son of God became a son of men, so sons of men can become sons of God. And this is the heart of the gospel. Today, we focus on missions. Mission is wired into the DNA of Christianity. It's wired into the DNA of the Christian church. And mission is wired into the DNA of the Christian God. It can be said that the God of the Christian story is, by very nature, a missional God. God is always on mission, reaching out to and revealing himself to to all creation. Still, over the years, particularly here in the West, the mission of Jesus has taken some major PR hits and somewhat justifiably so. For misguided Christian mission fueled the impetus behind empire conquests, the slave trade, and residential schools, just to name a few. Which leaves us questioning, is Christian mission still valid? Is it even safe or right to evangelize? Or is any form of Christian mission just oppressive colonialism all over again? Certainly over the span of my career as a pastor in Vancouver, I've witnessed a massive shift in the general sentiment of culture from somewhat Christian to post-Christian to anti-Christian. But as one pastor puts it, The tide of secularism has gone so far out that the sheer momentum of the gospel one day has to come rushing back in. And with excited anticipation, I wonder, as Canada moves more and more towards extreme secularism and most Christian churches function at the margin of society, how might this timeless Christian story in this cultural moment appeal once again? to modern Canadians with no idea of or experience with or baggage toward Christianity. Today, we turn our attention to Luke chapter 2 and the shepherds. Sure, this is part of the Christmas story, but it's not often seen as the mission story that I believe it also truly is. When the shepherds themselves experience a great epiphany, an aha moment, it radically impacts their lives and propels them out into the mission of Jesus. Like Dr. Rio said in his sermon last week, evidence only gets us so far. Encounter with Jesus changes everything. When our society wonders, can anything good come out of Christianity? 
Our best mission to the North Shore flows out of our own encounters with Jesus. And this is precisely what happens to the shepherds. Let's read the biblical text, Luke chapter 2. You might wish we had a Christmas tree up or some Christmas lights on, but this should be read throughout the year, I believe. It's a great story. Let's read it. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Oh God, we just come before you now, and we ask that you would come and speak to us from these incredible words, part of the amazing Christian story. And God, we ask now that you would come and shape us through this message today into the people who would represent you here on earth in a missional way in the days ahead. God, I ask that you come and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit now. We're hungry to hear from you. Amen. Have you ever been stuck in a lousy job? Found yourself working a job you simply couldn't stand? During BC's economic recession back in the 1980s, perhaps you're old enough to remember it, my father fought to keep his job at Finning, the province's Caterpillar tractor dealer. And for a season, my father was demoted from the office customs department to an afternoon shift in a tiny trailer out in the yard. His new job, flipping the switch for the arm to go up and down when the trucks came and left the yard. Very rewarding and stimulating work. He couldn't stand it. For me, there was that summer washing dishes and cleaning toilets at Green Bay Bible Camp. Ugh. Then in the winter of 1990, I suddenly found myself unemployed and ended up stuck in a job as a valet parking cars at Coquitlam Center Shopping Mall, an experiment by a California company trying to make inroads into Canada. Well, it didn't go very well. And most of the time, I found myself soaking wet, freezing cold, annoyed by grumpy Christmas shoppers, and with barely any money in my pockets. After Mary, a teen mom, and Joseph, a blue-collar carpenter, it's shepherds, migrant workers on the graveyard shift, that are the first 
to hear the news. Intriguing how God reveals his son not to those we might first expect. Shepherds ranked very near the bottom on the first century social scale. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them? That's outrage. Children were even discouraged in those days from choosing shepherding as a profession, for it was often deemed a trade of thieves. What in the world is God up to? Announcing the birth of his son first to homeless nomads toiling away in a lousy job. Think about it. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David all did some time in jobs caring for livestock. Maybe God was just simply continuing his historical work through shepherds. Or perhaps God chose to reveal himself this way because shepherds, on paper at least, need acceptance and forgiveness more than most. What a birth announcement. To herald the birth of Jesus, God choreographs a private heavenly concert just for the shepherds. And this scene has inspired composers and formed the basis of many choral works, Christmas carols, and Christian songs for centuries. However, the shepherds' initial response to these incredible festivities is fear. They're terrified. They're terrified by the glory of God shining all around them. I guess so. And I want to say that we mustn't become too nonchalant or, or flippant or brush off or take for granted God's presence. We ought to approach God's glory with awe and reverence, even a touch of fear. But the angel calms the shepherd saying, don't be afraid. We have good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Somewhat lost today in our politically and religiously polarized world is this idea that the Christian story is, in fact, still good news, meant to bring great joy, a most precious human experience to all people. Jesus offers more than power or success or comfort can deliver. Jesus brings peace, peace with God, our Creator, with whom all creation's relationship has been marred because of sin. Jesus brings joy, a new heart infused with God's presence and his life that will last for eternity. The Christian story is not designed for a select group of religious elites, nor is it meant for us to hoard, be ashamed of, or keep quiet about Friends of North Shore Alliance Church, I pray that we discover a renewed passion for the power of the Christian story in our day. Sure, it is countercultural, but at its very core, it is still good news, the best news of great joy for all people. Do you believe it? Thank you, Sarah. There is an urgency that I admire here in the shepherd's response. Post-concert, you can just imagine them all pumped up. Come on, allez, let's go, vamos! And the shepherds hurry off to find the child. There's an eagerness to examine the evidence, to seek and to find this Savior, Jesus. And lately, 
I met many people new to our community on a similar journey, showing up to our ministries and services eagerly seeking Jesus, particularly those coming from other cultures or coming out of other religions. We've seen some who've grown up here in Canada with no prior knowledge of the Christian story, mostly under 40, and they don't have church baggage for that matter. Others have even been coming back to church with a fresh hunger for Jesus, perhaps driven by these unsettling events of a global pandemic. And it's exciting to play a part in pointing people to Jesus. And super refreshing to see people encounter Jesus anew and engage in Christian community. I doubt it was the fancy messaging that made the shepherds witness so compelling. Likely the opposite. They, it says, simply shared what they'd been told and what they'd seen. The shepherds glorified and praised God. They worshipped. And it was highly effective. All who heard the shepherds' testimony we're amazed. And I wonder, have you encountered in Jesus a friend, a mentor, a savior so transformational you cannot help but share that story with others? It all flows from there. It's not about spewing out catchy gospel presentations or getting people saved or turning people's hearts to Jesus. We can't do much about that anyways. That's God's job. Our encounters with Jesus, are what fuel God's mission through us. Well, as you can imagine, it's time now to land the plane with a few more life applications. What can we learn from the shepherds to further shape how we participate in the great mission of Jesus in our world? I offer three encouragements for us today. First, there's an application in this text that God can make himself known through anyone, even you. Due to the nature of their work, shepherds could not observe many of the ceremonial laws or go to church on Sundays. They couldn't be good enough or smell good enough to be accepted in most social settings. And did you know that in the ancient world, a shepherd's testimony was not welcome or valid and would never stand up in court? It's remarkable. This story reminds us that God is not pretentious. God can and will use anyone in his mission. One of the main sideliners of Christian mission is this false idea that one has to be good enough or have it all together or get all your words right before God could use you in his mission. Add to that, these days, there is a very real fear of being ignored, ridiculed, or ostracized for even associating with Christianity. This paralyzes and keeps many from ever talking about the good news of Jesus with family, friends, and neighbors. I I get it. I know how hard it is. As I prepared this week, God put it on my heart to encourage us to see God's mission as a team effort. Some of you have labored. You've labored over the salvation of a loved one for years. And the Lord wants you to know today that you are not alone in your concern. We are on the mission of Jesus together. And I feel God calling us, even this morning, to join together in prayer for the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. So why don't you take a moment right now and text me the name of a family member, 
friend, or neighbor with whom you feel called to share your faith. Just text their first name. And together at the end of the service, we will take these precious loved ones by name to Jesus together and ask the Lord for spiritual openings in their lives. Feel free to text me their names even now. The second encouragement and application that comes from the text is this, that there's a call to embody the Christian story and explain when appropriate. In his book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, Australian author Sam Chan suggests that for many today, Christianity is associated with oppression or loss of freedom. And Chan encourages Christ followers to tell a better story. How do we embody and explain the Christian story to family, friends, and neighbors in our day? Lately, I've taken to asking some mildly leading questions of my non-Christian friends. Do you have a faith? Is your family religious? Have you ever been to church? And typically, it requires asking lots of questions and much listening before anyone is ever interested in my story and willing to actually listen. I've been playing, most of you know, a lot of you know, I've been playing lunchtime soccer for now for 24 years. And the other, guy, the other day, one of the guys I played with for two decades confronted me at the end, and he said this. He said, Dave, why are you so encouraging and friendly to people all the time? It's that Jesus thing, isn't it? That's what he said, very confrontationally. And this opened the door for a conversation about the genuine difference that Jesus makes in my life, the hope and joy and peace, and the precious love for others that Jesus puts in my heart. The heart of Christian mission is us embodying Jesus personally in such a transformational way that God's story just naturally oozes out of us. I can just hear the pushback. But Sattler, you're a trained Christian pastor. You're just naturally good, and you always know what to say. That's a bunch of bunk. Not true. I struggle too. I find it nerve-wracking. It feels like a spiritual battle. It's a grind. But we can take comfort in some of the final words that Jesus shares with his disciples before he sent them out on mission. And I think they're a little worried about how it's going to go. In John 14, 26 and 27, Jesus assures the disciples that he assures us with the same words, but the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When mission opportunities come, God the Holy Spirit promises to give us the words, his words. We are to listen to him and simply explain. And I reckon you'll be surprised how exciting it feels to have the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Thirdly, I offer this application for us today. Find bridges, even unexpected ones, to connect with people. A church friend recent, recently shared a cool story with me. He, like many North Shore residents, had a tree fall in his yard after the recent blast of cold weather. What did we call that? Snowmageddon? One day, he went out to clean it up 
with a handsaw. And to his surprise, two neighbors showed up to help. One whom he'd lived with on the same street for 20 years, but never really met. Both neighbors offered their chainsaws. One even provided the time and labor to help him cut up all the fallen branches. And they got to spend lots of time connecting with one another. Here's the point. When the power tools come out, God moves. No, that's not the the real point. The real point is this. Sometimes the greatest bridge God provides comes when we are most needy. And we have to count on others for a favor. I believe the pandemic has significantly increased isolation and introversion in our world. In his recent book, God in the Pandemic, N.T. Wright says, people, prayerful, humble, faithful, will be the answer not to the question why, but to the question what. What needs to be done here? Who is most at risk? How can we help? And Wright goes on, we should celebrate every way in which the living Lord, whom we regularly worship in church buildings, is out and about bringing healing and hope far beyond the visible limits of church property. As our world becomes more and more driven socially by technology and media, I believe the need for human interaction and human touch is all the more heightened. I see this need reflected in the men's community soccer team that I play on. Our attendance numbers at practice even on a pouring, rainy, dark night in Lynn Valley, are through the roof. We practice at 9 to 10 p.m. on Wednesday nights, and often 20-plus guys show up for a run, followed by beer drinking on the sidelines long afterwards. The hunger, or maybe more accurately, the thirst for community is strong. But as I grow older, I'm finding it more and more difficult to build significant relationships. And the relational groundwork that needs to be in place before I begin to genuinely share my faith with others feels incredibly daunting. Add to that, I've been burned, rejected for my faith. And truthfully, I've blown it too. Come on too strong too soon sometimes. Some days I think it would just be better to pack it in and retreat to my comfortable little Christian bubble might be easier that way. But that's not what the Christian story calls us to. Or how Jesus, our Savior, lived his life. In Matthew 11, verse 19, it says, Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking with people. And Jesus took a ton of flack for accepting invitations to banquet with those less scrupulous in the law. Matthew goes on, critics of Jesus say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. May we go about eating and drinking with people, listening, relating to, and connecting, building significant life-sharing relationships with others. Jesus became known as friend of sinners. Now that's a cool nickname and beautifully illustrates how we as Christ followers are called to live. May God give us courage. May we so embody Jesus and his love. And may the Spirit work powerfully through us in mission 
to others, that people are amazed and drawn to Jesus as a result. Amen. I'm going to pause right now, and I would invite you to join me in prayer as we lift the names of our loved ones. I have 28 text messages. Let's stand together, and let's join our hearts as we lift these precious loved ones to Jesus by name. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you humbly today. And God, we lift the names and the hearts and the lives of our loved ones that we would love to see come to Jesus today. We lift up Diane to you today. We lift Amir, Laz, Rick, and Ruth, Marv, Britt, and Melia, Anne, Tanya, and Lenny, Dan and Tina, Stepmom Joan, Trevor, Jen. God, we bring Al to you today. We bring Alyssa to you today. Poyi, we bring them to you today. Jamie and Morgan, God, we lift them to you. Shauna, Trish, Terry, Sam, Lauren, Janet, Constance, Abraham, Eva, Nina, and Narissa, Gord, Fayaz, Sean, and Julia, and Dakota. Lord, I lift, lift David to you today. God, we thank you that you have all of these people in your hands. And God, we ask that you might even empower us anew and afresh to make you known to our family, friends, and neighbors. We lift them to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.